Uh, welcome again to Mosaic Church. And uh, my name is Ben. If I've not met you, I'd love to meet you. I'm looking around here. I think I've met everyone in this room. So that's exciting. Um, we're, we're continuing in Ephesians. And uh, every time you preach, you always need, you're always preaching to yourself. I hope you guys know that, that uh, there's never coming from a place of like, I've nailed this, I am the expert, and that's why I'm pontificating to you all. But for me personally, uh, I, I need this, uh, I need to connect with Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 more now in my life uh, than ever, really at age 42. There's a lot of uh, disappointments and, and challenges that I face, some of them pretty acute even in these last few weeks in the life of our church. And um, there's sort of a convergence. I was talking with someone during the mingle when it's supposed to be a little light, lighthearted about just this convergence of stressors and pressures. And, and um, you read through Ephesians and you, you read it, six chapters, and you're like, man, they must have got it. They crushed it. You know, they had a personal relationship with Paul. They were that much closer uh, in time and distance from Jesus, so they must have crushed it. But years later, actually, in Revelation, uh, there is a letter written to the angel of the church in Ephesus where that, that, uh, the letter says, um, you have forgotten your first love. And on one hand, it's very discouraging that the church in Ephesus would receive that letter years later. You have forgotten your first love. Repent and turn back. But I take it as great encouragement because the, the, the call to repent and turn back to our first love is always there, so no matter how far you've strayed. And none of that's in my notes. Okay, great. Here we go. <laughs> the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, as I was preparing this and thinking about this, you know, we've learned that Paul likes to ramble. Like, he rambles, 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 and it, it's, you know, how intentional is he putting together his theological constructs versus just the overflow of his heart? when he puts pen to paper or has his scribe put pen to scroll. Um, but that, that's just when you read through Ephesians, uh, and the English doesn't even quite convey just how rambling the Greek, the original language, can be. And, and I realize that it's, it's almost as if Paul, uh, if you look at Ephesians 1, he has the greeting. He starts it out to God's holy people in Ephesus. Then he starts the letter pretty much with a prayer, an invitation to his audience to, to peek into his prayer life. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he just goes on and on and on with that longest run-on sentence that we've had in the New Testament. So he, pray, he tells them that he's praying for them, and then he tells them exactly what he is praying for them, uh, which is a great practice. I mean, do you ever tell people or are you ever told, like, I am praying for you, and this is what I'm praying for you? Now, the, the impact and effect of that can be hugely beneficial because then you're like, wow, if, if they're praying that for me, I'm going to be curious about where God may be answering that prayer in my life. So I now become a co-laborer with God to answer the prayer that my friend or spiritual mentor or whoever has been praying for me. And um, so we today, uh, I'm going to get... I'm going to get out in the weeds just a little, but if anything, just take away from today that we have a core prayer that you can always pray. 
No matter what, you get distracted, you have a litany of requests, you can always come back to the main prayer that Paul prays today in the heart of Ephesians. By the way, uh, if you are a Christ follower, how is your prayer life? Did anyone feel that pit in their stomach of guilt and shame and I should have and I should do this and that? I found that there's maybe no greater shame-inducing question for the Christian than, hey, how's your prayer life? You said you were going to pray for me. Are you doing that? And that's okay. That is where we are often. God wants to meet you this morning, wherever you're at, in your journey with him. Even if you don't yet see that you are on a journey with him, if you hear my voice, if you're online or you're in this room, I assure you, you are on a journey with him. So I'm actually going to invite you all, if, for whoever's up for it, stand up and kneel with me. Now, if we were Roman Catholic, this would be easy, right? So this is an invitation. If your knees are bad and you're like, this, I don't want to do it, that's fine. But I, I was practicing my own kneeling. So if anyone would like to kneel with me, you are more than welcome. Don't worry, we won't be up and down too much. Um, however, I think it's brilliant that the Roman Catholics have kneelers. They've got... I'm in there, my knees are cracking, and I see 80, 90-year-olds up and down, like, wow, they have figured out community health, all right? So um, we are going to, I'm inviting you to pray with me the prayer that Paul prays over and for the church in Ephesus. Let's see here. Is this clicking? Nope. Oh, but it's not hooked up back there. Okay, we'll figure this out. One Without Dave here, a lot of things kind of go awry. So pray with me, if you will. Dear Father, from whom every person on earth draws life, I pray that according to your vast wealth, that you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being, right in our core, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Father, I pray, we pray that these here this morning, myself included, would be rooted and established in your love, that we may have power together with all your people through all time to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that is unknowable, surpassing knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of who you are, Father. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and uh, work through the, the pops and creeks. So Paul is letting them know. Oh, and you can then sit. <laughs> wow, you guys are responding. I love it. <laughs> Next we're going to, no, just kidding. Uh, so the typical uh, way to pray in Jewish culture would be to stand. I mean, Christ raises his hands, looks up, and prays in John 17. But this posture that we're, we've grown accustomed to of bowing our head, even kneeling, becoming prostrate before um, uh, God is, is coming from this, this place of desperation. So Paul is, is, is kind of giving some atypical information about the typical way a Jewish man would pray by lowering himself in a state of desperation. And he's, he's praying, he's letting them know that he is praying not only to the God the Father, and he refers to God the Father more than any other reference uh, to how he talks about God, 
but it's God the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So everyone, that, 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 that word uh, every family actually has to do with fatherhood. Every father-headed group, every lineage, every tribe, every nation, every pedigree, everyone who walks on this planet is born can trace their lineage back to the creator in some way, right? But yet the great plan of God as the family has been completely shattered, dysfunctional, I mean, you could say we put the fun in dysfunction. Um, ever since uh, Adam and Eve fell and broke away from the family, God has been on a, um, he has been hell-bent in many ways on adopting back his family and restoring the family of Abraham. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches. So we, we preach from the NIV, but every once in a while, I'm like, ah, this that rendering is not quite as powerful as some other translations put it. So in the ESV, he says, I pray that according to his riches. Think about the difference between out of the riches versus according to his riches. According to his riches means if you have a lot of money, I'm making a very big request from you. I just don't want something out of your your wealth. I want something according to your wealth. And uh, I'm, maybe you think about, if you think about uh, anyone who's in a role where there's fundraising required. I mean, we've got some nonprofit folks in here, myself included with Habitat, you know. So when you're thinking about making that financial appeal, you're aware of potentially the, how much wealth that person has so that you can address your request accordingly. So you're not going to come to a college student on behalf of Habitat and say, I'm looking for you to be a major donor, $5,000 a year, right? No. You're going to say, hey, let's get you in the door, $5 a month maybe, give up a latte, because you want them to give according to their wealth. Then at the same time, if I had a chance to sit with, uh, I don't know, let's just say LeBron James, right? <laughs> Completely random, got swept by the nuggets, but guy's got some money, right? And he says, Ben... You seem like a good guy. Give me your request. I'm not going to say, wow, $5,000, LeBron, that would be great. No. I'm going to say, we need, you know, $200 million to establish a foundation, right? Because I want him to give according to his wealth. So think about this. We honor the king by the magnitude of our request. So Paul comes and he acknowledges before the Ephesian believers and to God, you have glorious riches and I am asking you to give according to those glorious riches that you would strengthen with power through his spirit our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, he's writing to people who already believe in Jesus. So the fire insurance, if you will, you know, get out of jail free card by, from the cross, the blood of Christ, their, their eternal destiny is secure. So all of this stuff is, is bolstering and supporting them so that now they have the, uh, the power, the wherewithal to live out the Christian life even now, moving forward. 
So just by, when you put your faith in Christ, you are not immediately your inner being just strengthened so that you can now grasp and comprehend the depth of, of Christ's love for you. No, this takes time. This is a matter of God giving you that, that power to strengthen your inner being so Christ can dwell in your heart. You're saved, right? You're saved. Ephesians 1 covered all that, but now Christ is asking to dwell in your heart to take up residency in your heart. So in Revelation 3.20, um, a famous passage, it's actually uh, a letter to the church in Laodicea, where Jesus says, here I am. Remember this one? Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. Now there's been a lot of stories in our culture where people are going up to the door and knocking. And they are met with Great fear. I mean, we, we kind of are in a culture where someone knocks at the door, it may be a shoot first, ask questions later scenario. Put yourself in the, in the shoes of Jesus Christ as he approaches your door, as he knocks on the door of your heart, and as you open that door, what is your response to him? Jesus says, I will come in, I will eat with that person, and they with me. He is asking not to just be greeted, thanks Jesus, uh, I, I, I accept what you've, you've given me, now move along. He is saying, I want to come in, I want to eat with you. I want to spend time with you. Uh, there's a great little book, if you're looking for a devotional book, this was written in the 50s called My Heart, Christ's Home by a guy named Robert Boyd Munger. And in it, it's just his own reflection on this passage where Jesus comes in and you kind of let your guests in, just you, you let them in the, the foyer, right, till you feel out, you know, how are they going to respond to what I have going on in here, you know. You close the door to that room with all the junk hidden or the multiple rooms with all the junk hidden. Well, this story in uh, my, my Heart Christ's Home, Jesus comes in to the study first. He looks at the wall, sees what's on the, what, what the books are, and he starts picking them apart, you know. He starts addressing this and that. And, and speaking into the life of the person, the, the, the host gets a little uncomfortable. The dining room, the living room, the workroom, he just walks room by room by room down to the dark closet, hiding all of the things. Are we going to let Jesus dwell in our hearts so that nothing is inescapable to him? Cognitively, if we read our Bible, we understand that he knows all. He sees all. But yet he is not going to impose upon us. He is asking for that invitation. He wants to dwell, take up residency. Not just stay a while, not even just sign a lease, but to own your life, to own um, your heart, and then you to steward what he's doing. I often wonder, and I think about um, the uh, recipients of these letters, right? So... Um, Paul's writing to largely illiterate groups, you know, and there are some people who are literate, so they would receive the letter, they would gather a group of people together, and then that letter would be read in its entirety to a group of people. So anytime we think, wow, this is so theologically dense, I can never get it, the Bible's so difficult, just remember, this, this, the scriptures are coming to people who are largely illiterate. We are very literate, right? We can do the work. We can, we can work to understand what's being said here. But I put myself in their shoes, and I wonder how this would have hit them, how they might have responded when they received these, these words 2,000 years ago. 
I wonder if those hearing Paul's letter read to them might have actually put their hand to their heart as they tried to understand and experience the results of what Paul was praying for them. Think, if you, if you hear this, I'm praying for you that, that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I invite you uh, this morning, anytime you want to, just feel free to put your own hand on your heart, which is actually not on the left side, it's in the center, and just to center yourself and to consider what is God doing, not just in my conceptual life, intellectual life, but in the core of who I am, in my soul, in my heart. So I invite you, if you ever, uh, as we're going here, just to put your hand on your heart. Just an encouragement. I can't remember if I shared this here or not. The Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal. If you see his photos, he always has his hand to his, his stomach. The co-star asked him about that. Why, why do you always do that? And he said, because that's where my anxiety is. And he was so attuned to his, his body and his being that he understood he, he was going to live with with, with this condition, right? And all these um, psychotherapists were just affirming that is a centering, that is a, we're, 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 we're embodied souls. We are not just minds separate from our body. So that can actually help you connect with what Paul is saying he is praying for you. Okay, let's get out in the weeds just a little. There's a book um, by a guy named J.P. Moreland that I've, I've referenced here a few weeks ago called Finding Quiet. It's his story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that brought peace. So J.P. Moreland is a Christian scholar, and this is sort of his own reflection on his journey with anxiety and depression. But I, I think there's some things we can learn even about experiencing the love of God. Okay, I don't think we're working here. Let me see. Well, can you push the next button, Brooklyn? One more. There we go. So J.P. Moreland says, The term heart in Scripture is used to represent one's deepest core for the physical heart area. Notice the physical heart area, what C.S. Lewis called the chest, is the location where we actually experience our deepest values, feelings, attitudes, and ways of seeing the world. In some mysterious way, then, the physical heart area, especially what is going on there, is to be the center of meditation if it's to flow from and impact our deepest core, our metaphorical heart. Attending to the physical heart muscle is an application of two important biblically-based theological themes. So pay attention. This may stretch your, your thoughts here. First, we're to ask God to search us and know us, especially any hurtful ways in us. This is Psalm 139, 23 to 24. So in a way, it's to ask God, search me, scan me, see is there any offensive way in me. It goes on. Second, this is from Romans 6, 12 to 13. We're to present the members as Paul calls it, the, the organs or the parts of our body. And this could be the body of Christ, or we can think of our own, our own body 
present to Christ, or yeah, present the members of our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. All of me, God, is to be used by you. There are many ways to do this, but one is to submit different members to God's searching gaze and go there with him to see what he wants to show us about ourselves. Outside of the brain, the organ of the physical heart may be the most important member of our bodies to present to God, searching and our own co-laboring with him in this. So when one is doing a body scan, one is following a biblically-based practice. We're not just souls separate from the body. We're embodied souls. We're souls having a physical experience or we're physical beings having a spiritual experience because we will be resurrected physically, right? Let's continue in these weeds. A third strand of thought, a scientific one. So this is interesting. Paul has written these words 2,000 years ago to this church in Ephesus, and now we're going to reflect on current neuroscience. A third strand of thought, scientific one derived from recent discoveries may shed light on biblical teaching about the core of a person and its relationship to the heart organ. Neuroscientists have discovered that the heart has its own independent nervous system referred to as the brain in the heart. In a real sense, the heart thinks for itself. Some 40,000 neurons are in the heart, which are as many as are found in the number, in the number of important subregions of the brain. Uh, oh, yeah. Did I, am I on the... Okay. Oh. Yes, I just read that. <laughs> okay. Stick with it. The heart sends signals to different parts of the brain, including the amygdala. The amygdala specializing in strong emotional memories. So sometimes you may not have a, you may not remember uh, mentally or intellectually a, a situation, but your body will remember. Right? That's like called when you have a trigger response or a trauma response. So there's information there, but you're not thinking of it cognitively. Um, the amygdala specializes in strong emotional memories and is what the soul uses to process information for its emotional significance. By influencing amygdala and other regions of the brain, scientists believe that our heartbeats aren't just the mechanical throbs of a diligent pump, just keeping us alive through blood flow, but an intelligent language that significantly influences how we perceive and react to the world. Some scientists talk about heart intelligence, intelligent flow of awareness and insight an intuitive source of wisdom and clear perception that embraces both mental and emotional intelligence. Sometimes I do this with my friends. I say, you know, this is why we can read body language. Body language communicates just as much, if not more, than the actual words we say. So I went to my friend Paxton. I won't say it exactly how I said it to him, but I looked him in the eye. I said, Paxton, I hate your guts, man. And immediately he got a big smile on his face. Why? Because he intuited that moment, that connection, so much quicker than he could cognate the words that I said. Right? He didn't have to stop me like, wait, he just said he hates my guts. But given the context, it's maybe kind of a lighthearted joke. No, he immediately smiled because of his heart intelligence, right? I hope you're tracking with me. 
In light of the new scientific information, one can only marvel at the incredible accuracy of Paul's statement. This is from Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Something about the security of that relationship is transcending my mental faculties, and I'm feeling uh, anxious-free or peace. Given this context, we learn that both the heart and mind areas of the body, heart organ and the brain, are to be involved cooperatively in opening up to God and dispelling anxiety. Or in this case, receiving and experiencing love. So Paul goes on in our, in our passage. And I pray that you, church in Ephesus, this is what he's been praying, he tells them, being rooted and established in love, rooted having to do with new growth, you know, it's a bot- botanical imagery, and established having to do with architecture or being grounded. Um, he has this mixed metaphor going here. He says that you would, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So think about what Paul has already said to this church in Ephesus about the Lord's holy people. Uh, We just had this, uh, I think, two weeks ago, where we were in Ephesians 2, where Paul taught us that the Ephesians, primarily a Gentile group of believers, where he tells them, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, But now you are fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household. Remember the the household was broken and everyone's kind of, uh, there's so much dysfunction, but now they've been adopted in. They're part of the household. They're built on the foundation, or the household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So so when we are discerning and, and grasping the love of God along with all of the Lord's people, we're part of this expanding household. It's a, it's a household, but it's also the temple of God. I couldn't help but think of Solomon's temple dedication prayer. If you remember a little bit of Old Testament history, and if you've not read it, that's fine. You can go back and read it. David wanted to build the temple, but God said no. And um, so Solomon comes along, and he built a temple, a physical temple, that would be a place where the Holy of Holies was, where God's presence would be. A lot of uh, interesting, somewhat crazy stories around that Holy of Holies. Uh, and the the power contained in in the Holy of Holies. You can read about it, the Ark of the Covenant, where God's just kind of meandering with the people of God, but yet great power is in this one location, slightly expanded in the physical temple. And this is what, what Solomon prays. He says, but will God really dwell on earth? When he's dedicating this temple hundreds of years before. The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer your servant is praying in your presence. 
May your eyes be open toward this physical temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And now Paul teaches us, God's dwelling place is not this physical location in Israel. It is his people who've been adopted in. That takes a lot to grasp and understand the scope, the gravity, the gravitas, the the perspective of God's love. He says, I pray that you would have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The expansiveness of the love of Christ. It's an invitation to see the world through the eyes of of Jesus. Uh, I, you ever had this experience where um, you're with a friend and they've invited you to do something that's really not your thing, but yet you get to see the world through their eyes? Back to my, my, uh, my buddy Paxson. He's making his way into some illustrations. He invited me to go to this concert with him in Kansas City uh, to see Colonel Les Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade at Grinders. Like, okay, am I going to give up 10 hours of my life to get really, really tired when I'm having this kind of tough couple weeks and I'm preaching and I'm like, let me just see the world through his eyes. And what an experience to see the, the joy, the delight. The, the, uh, Paxson, he takes notes on every song that happens and has a documentation somewhere of all the concerts he's been and, all, and the set list. Like, why does he do that? It's like fascinating. It's exciting. We have to go sit right in front of the sound booth because that's where the best sound mix is. Like, seeing the world through his eyes, it's awesome. Imagine seeing this world through the eyes of Christ. We are not well equipped unless we are with him and looking through his eyes to love and expand or embrace the, 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 the depth of his love for the world. The parameters of the temple have been greatly expanded, more than you can imagine. And he's taught us in, in Ephesians 1 all about his love, his, his uh, predestining us for adoption, all of these amazing things. So if we want to begin to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of God, then we have to look no further than the outstretched arms of Christ on the cross, right? And to see his gaze from there, and what he is trying to accomplish as he pours out his blood. There's a great um, a, a talk. If you're, if you're looking for someone to talk about the love of God who's like 40 years older than me, who's um, really experienced grace at a deep level, Brennan Manning, he's an author. Um, there's a great talk that I just keep going back to time and time again called God Loves You as you are, not as you should be. Just Google search that. These are the types of things in, in that talk, so I didn't, I didn't want to just rip it completely from him without telling you about his talk. You know, God loves you in such a way that he'd rather die than be without you. He loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be. No one is as they should be yet. 
this morning, Mosaic, and any of you who hear me, do you know that God loves you? Do you know it? And think about the, the guilt, the shame, the anxiety, the depression, the low self-esteem, addictions, remorse, self-condemnation, despair, purposelessness. There's more of his love to know and grasp if you're experiencing any of those things. Do you believe that with all the wrong turns, the detours, the missed opportunities, the sin, the selfishness, the bad decisions? I was just talking with someone this morning about their tattoos, and they said, a lot of bad decisions, right? The mistakes, the things left. By the way, tattoos are awesome. No, I wish I, I, I would, not in the notes, love to work on a sleeve, just don't have any money, okay? Um, the things left undone and unsaid, the damaged relationships, so on, so forth, the list could go on and on and on. God loves you now, as you are now, even with all that baggage. And that's why Paul takes three chapters to reinforce and make sure you know that before he even gives one encouragement to behavior change. One of the great plights of American culture, Christian culture, and it's just the plight of human nature, is that we think we have to change, we have to produce results in order to bring value or to be loved. That is our culture, right? The coaching carousel if they don't win the title, we let go of the coach. Now, they're getting paid a lot of money. They can be resilient. But when you apply that to our spiritual lives, that is the air we breathe. God is saying, I love you now as you are. You have to get that. You need to grasp that. Paul is desperately praying that you would get that. God's word to you, I know your life story. I know your shallow faith. I know your feeble prayer life. Nothing is hidden from my eyes. My word is this, I dare you to trust, I love you as you are, not as you should be. No one is as they should be. So I was, I was thinking about this passage, I was, I was reflecting like, who all is Paul have in mind when he says the Lord's holy people? And that's kind of how, how, how we are as humans, we want to think who's in and who's out, Right? I don't know. I know that I can't make an ultimate judgment on who all this phrase is referring to because just as soon as I've determined someone is with, outside of that, they can respond to the gospel in a moment and now they are part of the Lord's people. I know one thing for sure as I was thinking about this. I don't want to exclude anyone who Jesus is saying Actually, that person has been adopted into my family. Far be it from me to exclude them in my own thinking about who's in. And I don't want to exclude anyone about whom Jesus is saying to me. Ben, that person who you're, you're judging or you're considering outside of the scope of my love, that person is more curious about me than you know or can see. They just haven't opened up to you because they're intuiting your judgment, right? There's something that's happened in their story. They're not going to open up to you until they know that you're a safe place to bring their story to, until they experience and feel God's love for you, for, for you and for them. 
God may be saying to me, I want you to be available and present to them, but you're not quite there yet, Ben. Continue to grow in and grasp my love for you. In the meantime, just don't push anyone away. God wants to expand our view and vision of his his, uh, view of the world, right? There's this passage in, let's see here. Yes, as soon as you respond to the gospel, um, you're, you're included. In Acts, um, I love this story where Paul, uh, he's, he's engaging with the Athenians, and he sees all of their, their passion to worship all these different deities, and he sees a, a, an altar to the unknown God, and he takes that as an opportunity to proclaim to them the creator of the universe. So Paul stands in front of this, this group of uh, Stoics and Epicureans, Really smart people who love to sit around and think about existential things. It says, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens. Oh, that's not what I had here. Yeah, he affirms to them that they're very religious, right? And that's great. But I want to proclaim to you that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he, gives, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Remember, uh, he prays to the Father from whom every family on earth is named. And he did this, God did this so that they would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You may feel far from God, whether you have relationship with him or not, but he is very near to you if you will just turn and receive his grace. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, um, you can read that on your own, we'll, we'll keep going. <laughs> So Paul is praying for them. Um, This phrase here is so interesting. We've already prayed it. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. So talk about uh, oxymoron, a paradox. Paul is praying that they would know something that is unknowable. Right? Right? Earlier he prays, in a, in a passage that I, Josh preached on Ephesians 1, he prays that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so that they can know the hope to which he has called them. Again, think about the heart, what we just, we talked about, J.P. Moreland's comments on science, that there is more that you can intuit here than immediately can be known up here. A couple more quotes from our, from our brother J.P. Moreland back into the weeds. Interestingly, he says, modern scientific research seems to have validated what the biblical writers and and ancients knew all along. The body, primarily the heart, picks up another's feelings through a sort of emotional, intuitive perception whether or not the mind is conscious of it. So you interact with someone, you could just tell they're off. Not by what they've said, you just intuit that. Or you can tell they're bringing a lot of joy and delight. You fill the room with your presence. 
this is a real thing, right? This isn't, um, you know, when you say, hey, your energy's off, bro, your vibe's off, or man, that guy, I don't know what it was. I just felt like he cared. He was present. Regarding the hearts, now this is completely in the weeds, but I found it helpful. Regarding the heart's electromagnetic field, scientists have discovered that there's a measurable electromagnetic field surrounding every person. Combination of the electromagnetic fields generated by the brain, the heart, other electrical systems in the body. The heart's field has been measured at least 10 feet from the heart muscle. And this is one reason a person's emotional state can be picked up and internalized by another person within a range of 10 feet or more. The field changes with different internal emotions. For example, differing stress levels. As the field changes, it communicates different messages to the brain, triggering positive or negative thoughts. This is why anxious people's pets are anxious, right? Or the kids in the house, they intuit what's happening with mom and dad. You don't have to say it. They intuit that. There's real data being conveyed Last quote here. The heart muscle is one of the most important, if not the most important organs that contributes to the emotional, spiritual, and psychological health or sickness. As Proverbs 14.31 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. And similarly, Proverbs 17.22 notes, a cheerful heart is good medicine. So I think Paul is on to something that actually modern science is just catching up to now. Like, we need expanded capacity to experience and grasp the depth of God's love for us. And one of the best ways we can experience that is in our interactions with one another, right? As we are vessels of God's mercy to one another. Imagine if, if Jesus were to walk through these doors here. You know, he's physically resurrected. I suppose he could do that if he wanted to. And he were to walk to where you are, and he were to turn and look at your face. What would you intuit from him in the way he's relating to you? What would, would, what would he be conveying to you? This, this, uh, um, this last Tuesday, um, Maris had a client. She's in grad school. Kate was with some friends. I think she was staying overnight somewhere. So I told Maddox, hey, let's go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. No spoilers, because we didn't finish the movie. Okay, so don't tell me how it ends. So Maddox and I, I'm trying to connect with him. I desperately want to connect with my son. It's tough, because I look at him, he's very much like me, right? It's difficult interactions. He really wants to get the, the, the full popcorn and the, the trolleys, trolleys, however you say that, the little sour patch things. It's high in sugar, right? So we get tickets. I go all out. I'm trying to, to give this extravagant love. For me, it's extravagant to pay the full movie prices. He's sitting next to me. Movie's going. I keep saying, hey, don't overdo it. You're going to get sick. Slow down. What happens? One hour left, and he looks up at me. His face is just white. We've got to go. All I can think is, I told him not to do it. I spent a lot of money on this kid. I want to finish the movie. That's what's, and I try to say the right words. Oh, are you okay? But he can just read my face. He can feel for me 
the disappointment, the frustration. I told you you, could, you shouldn't have done this. I can't believe if you actually, you know, he's getting all that from me. I'm trying to say the right words, but he's intuiting that from me. Listen, when God speaks to you, how, how, what do you intuit from him? Is he just saying, man, I told you what to do and you didn't do it. You, you done messed up. Oh, but I love you. You know, we, we struggle to intuit rightly from God how much he loves us. He is not disappointed with you. He's not, ups- he, he's not upset that you continue to eat all the popcorn to the point that you had to throw up. Like, we'll get to the movie. We can finish the movie. What Maddox needed from me was to be present, to be gracious, to just give him my love. He's already beaten himself enough, up enough, right? And um, hopefully you get the idea. God loves you so much. No matter how you are now, not as you should be. Ephesians 4 to 6, there's work to do. We'll get there. That's great. But you need to know how much God loves you. So to put this into practice, and I'll invite the band up, worship team, I should say uh, Antonio and Brandon. So just a few things, you know. Expand your capacity for love. And that might be some, some work. I mean, this is something you can even do with a therapist or just thinking about this, like awareness of what is happening internally. Um, expand your capacity for love so that you can then experience Christ's love and then emulate Paul's prayer. What, what greater thing could we pray for one another than that we would be able to grasp the love of Christ That's the antidote for all the issues, all the challenges. That is what will lead to lasting change in our lives. So I, in my relationship uh, with Maris, she's she's my wife. She's not here now, so I like to tell these stories about family who aren't, aren't here. She has a whole litany of things she would like to see change in me. I mean, I could tell you all about it. If you asked her to tell me the truth, she could tell you all about it. We know that God's word is a mirror to our lives. In James 1, it talks about don't look at the mirror and then go away and forget. Like, look at the mirror, see the flaws, imperfections. They're there. And then there's a path forward. Well, if, the, if God's word is a mirror, I feel like Maris, discerning what God's doing in my life, is like that makeup mirror that zooms in 10 times. You guys know that one? Yeah, so you're looking, you're like, oh, I see a zip there, or a hair there. Then you flip it over, and you're like, woo, that's really bad. Then you turn on the light. Man, this is so bad. Well, the path to change, it it cannot be, I got to fix all this stuff so that Maris will stay with me. No, the path to change is Maris is with me through thick and thin, rich or poor, all the things till death do us part. And it's out of that safety and that security. I'm not going to change to gain her love. I'm going to change because she loves me, right? That's how it is with God. Don't think I'm going to change, I'm going to clean it up, and then he'll love me. No, he loves you as you are. Now we can move forward and change together. So next week, we begin the second half of Ephesians. Therefore, in light of all this, this, then, is how you should live. I'll close our time with 
Paul's prayer here, the, the, the remainder of his prayer, and I'll invite you all to stand, and we will uh, say the Lord's Prayer together for our final prayer, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper just away, a, a, a and maybe even as you come forward, maybe consider heart, your heart to your, your hand to your heart as you receive uh, the, the elements, the body, the blood of Christ, the bread, and the juice. So here's the prayer at the end of Ephesians 2. I invite up those who are serving as well. Now to you, Father, who are able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or even imagine, even here in Mosaic Church, through a difficult season, even for each of us, whatever difficulty we're facing, whatever stressors we feel, whatever shame, guilt, all of that, you can do more than all we can ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, even if we don't feel it uh, as we should. And to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's do the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. We invite you to the Lord's Supper.